We're back with another edition of the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Jashinsky, Culture Editor here at The Federalist. As always, you can email the show at radio at thefederalist.com. Follow us on Twitter at FDRLST. Make sure to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts as well. Today, we're joined by Andrew Kerr, who is an investigative reporter at The Washington Examiner. You probably read his work also at The Daily Caller. Andrew, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, Emily, thanks for having me on. Yeah, and as we record this podcast right now um, on Tuesday afternoon, there's a little bit of breaking news that Andrew just tweeted out, um, and it comes in reaction to his own reporting, and in fact, the very reporting that I want to talk about. Um, Andrew, you just tweeted, breaking the California Department of Justice just sent a letter to BLM threatening to hold its leaders personally liable if they don't fork over information about the charity's 60, what is it, $60 million bankroll. The action comes after the Washington Examiner exposed BLM shocking lack of transparency. So, Andrew, this is your report. Uh, tell us uh, first what you reported, what happened with the, the National Black Lives Matter organization, and now what California um, is, how California is responding. If your listeners recall, uh, the co-founder of Black Lives Matter, Patrice Cullors, uh, announced in May of last year that she was resigning of her role as executive director of the charity amid questions about her real estate purchases across the United States. She said that in, in her replacement, there's going to be two uh, activists would take over as co-executive directors. of, um, But those two replacement executives announced very quietly in September that they never took the job uh, and because over disagreements and nobody noticed that. Um, and the executive directors told me um, a few weeks ago that they don't know who's in control of Black Lives Matter uh, at the moment. Um, this is an organization that closed out 2020 with $60 million in its bank accounts. Mm. And we don't know who has been in group for over eight months now. In addition, uh, we tried to obtain their uh, their financial reporting for uh, the 2020 calendar year when they received all this money after the George Floyd protests, uh, George Floyd killing and the Black Lives Matter riots that, that followed. And Black Lives Matter listed a Los Angeles address uh, on their 2019 uh, Form 990 return. We go to that address, my colleague does, and she's told by a security guard that there has never been a Black Lives Matter at that address. And he added that they are constantly getting packages for Black Lives Matter that they have to return to sender. <laughs> and uh, it's almost. And Black Lives Matter told me the only question they answered, well, it wasn't really answering a question. Um, they they informed me that they don't have a permanent address anymore, and that they would mail me this uh, their their form nine ninety. A Form 990 is a, a, a document that is essentially a charity's tax return. Form 990s are public information. Charities have to look upon requests, um, and they have to disclose them. You know, they have 24 hours essentially give it to you if you if you make an in-person request. Uh, we go to their office, and nobody's home. Um, they they told me last week that they would mail me a copy of their 990 within the next two weeks, and they haven't followed through on that. So that's what we reported last week. And uh, just today, I put out two stories. So one, uh, the state of Washington, a very liberal state, in early January, uh, sent a letter to Black Lives Matter saying that your registration is delinquent and we have essentially closed your charity and you must immediately cease all fundraising activities in the state of Washington. And each 
each infraction, you can face civil penalties up to $2,000. Um, I know people in Washington state, I reached out to one of them and said, Hey, can you chuck a dollar to, into Black Lives Matter? And sure enough, he was able to complete that donation. He provided his Washington address and he was able to donate a dollar to Black Lives Matter. Despite this order from the Washington um, uh, Secretary of State, that they must be using activities in the state of Washington because they have not disclosed uh, necessary financial information about 2020 year activities. And then just minutes before coming onto this show, um, uh, reported a letter that the California Department of Justice uh, sent to Black Lives Matter just yesterday saying, hey, you guys are delinquent. And if you don't fork over information about your 2020 finances within the next 60 days, we're going to hold your leaders and everybody that's involved with uh, you know, charity registration with the state of California, we're going to hold all of them personally liable uh, for the fines that your organization will incur if you don't fork over information about your 2020 finances. So we have California and the state of Washington, two you know, very liberal are, are sending some pretty serious notes uh, towards, hey, you guys need to open up about your finances. This is, uh, you know, uh, the, these, these documents were due in mid-November. Um, it's been over two months now. And, um, you know, BLM as a, they are a, they're a charity. Donations to Black Lives Matter can be deducted from, from your taxes. Mm -hmm. So uh, that means that they have to disclose this information and they're not. Um, so it's a, I think it's a, it's a pretty significant deal. Uh, and this is the most prominent social justice nonprofit in the country. And this uh, complete lack of transparency is galling. This this organization was the, the primary formal vehicle for all of the sort of virtue signaling energy over the course of 2020. And it, it sort of uh, caught immense corporate resources in the wake of George Floyd's killing. And so now it's sitting on, you know, some 60 million dollars um, and we don't even know. And as you say, Andrew, the rules for disclosure surrounding nonprofit charities are as they are because they get tax breaks and because private donors, um, you know, people who are giving of their own resources. Sources, which many, many, many people um, from all financial backgrounds did to BLM in 2020 um, and since then have a right to have some sort of transparency as to what the heck is going on in the organization and, and no professional charity um, is really run this way. I mean, this this is like pretty, it's, it's pretty crazy when you can't even get the 990 and the address is wrong and you have this whole runaround. So could you refresh our memories on what happened with Patrice Cullors, who is one of the, uh, the one of the, of course, trained Mar Marxist, uh, self-described trained Marxists that uh, founded BLM, what went on with her at during that ouster? Because I think that probably explains some of the the obfuscation going forward. Right, and you know, just one quick note, just a, a necessary background. BLM has faced uh, accusations from from local BLM uh, activists for years um, about its lack of financial transparency and not supporting the chapters. So long before the George Floyd uh, killing and the influx of donations that Black Lives Matter had, that for years, local activists have been like, this national organization, like, this really stinks. And all that went completely ignored by, by the press. So yeah, um, Black Lives Matter raised $90 million. That's what they say. They say they raised $90 million in 2020. In February of 2021, Black Lives Matter released a report, which is, you know, it's not an official report. It was more just like an advertisement 
you know, kind of propping themselves up, <laughs> saying that they ended the year with 60 million in the bank. Two months later, the New York Post reveals that Patrice Cullors had just wrapped up a $3.4 million real estate buying spree across the United States. Four properties, um, three in California and one in Georgia, if I'm uh, not mistaken. And so that started a, you know, a onslaught of criticism that, hey, you guys came into a ton of money just last year. You're facing accusations from local chapters that you're not sharing any of it. And now you're buying up all these houses across the United States. Um, the, the Black Lives Matter uh, organization, the official name of the organization, by the way, is Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation. Yeah. So whenever I'm saying Black Lives Matter, I'm referring to that entity. Um, so Black Lives Matter issued a statement saying, hey, uh, we only paid Patrice Cullors $120,000, $130,000 from you know, 2013 through 2020. Um, we did not spend you know, any money on personal real estate purchases. Um, they later equated you know, coverage of Patrice Cullors uh, or as assassination attempts, which is just absurd. Um, but they denied that there is any, any wrongdoing. Um, when I was with the Daily Caller, I reported, though, that Black Lives Matter and a lot of other organ activist organizations under Patrice Cullors' control, they were divvying out these massive contracts to this art company called Trap Heels, uh, that is run by the uh, man who just so happens to be Patrice Color, the father of Patrice Color's only child. <laughs> and it was like, and it was very tricky. It took a long time to actually lock down that they had this personal relationship because they weren't being open and transparent about that. Um, what was their? How did they itemize that? You know, did they say that was for particular services or anything? Well, Black Lives Matter PAC spent a political action committee spent. Uh, $150,000 that they gave to Trap Heels, this company run by Patrice Cullors, you know, the father of her child, for this election night live stream in uh, 2020. And this live stream was so poorly produced. When I was with the caller, I, I talked to multiple, you know, people that are in the industry and they said like, whoa, like we could have done this for like a fraction of the price. And I mean, this is like complete amateur hour, this production. Um, it's not clear how much Black Lives Matter itself, you know, Black Lives Matter PAC is different from the Global Network Foundation. We don't know how much they've paid uh, trap heels. Um, charities are supposed to disclose their top paid contractors that, make, that they pay, uh, make over $100,000 in payments to, uh, but they haven't disclosed their, their 2020 documents. So we don't know. It's a big question mark. This is um, amazing. I mean, it's, it's amazing because they they are sitting on so much money and so much of it from other powerful people. And I, the answer to this seems to me like it's a big neon sign that's blinking no. But have any of those high-profile donors who made a big show of, of giving to BLM, the, the Global Foundation, um, in 2020 raised any questions? Do you have any indication that they're curious where their money went? Because that, to me, also raises all kinds of other questions. Right. So it's 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 been a busy past couple of weeks for me. So that's actually a, a question that um, I still you know, want to get answered. You know, all these corporate donors that, you know, you know, they made a big show, you know, right, you know, right in the middle of the, uh, of, of the Black Lives Matter movement in 2020, this, they're saying, yeah, we're going to pitch, you know, six figure, seven figure donations to Black Lives Matter and, and other, other groups. Well, you know, did they follow through on that? Are they concerned at all that, you know, 
the status of all that money is just, you know, big question marks. Um, you know, uh, they, these companies made a big, uh, big display about, you know, sending money over to this group, uh, but it's kind of been crickets ever since. So, um, you know, that is something that uh, warrants a follow-up. Haven't had the time to really dive into that yet. No, I'm glad you are following up, though, because that's a fascinating question. It gets to like, did they even care if this money was used well or was it all just a public relations? I mean, I, I, I kind of lean towards that, that it was all for it was more for show than substance um, to to increase their bottom line and to uh, virtue signal for the sake of uh, marketing. But mm. I think I'm glad you're following up on that point. Um, and I've looked into the BLM uh, global network before to try and sort of see how they run and look for 990s. And if you go on their website, it's like you can't you you actually cannot find out from their website who has anything to do with it who is running right. it it's so vague what since you've been following the story for a really long time and in great detail um and with great reporting like who is running them right now who is running this organization do we have any idea what's actually going on with them what they're doing who's involved what's the deal yeah so um uh Amid the questions of her of her real estate purchases in uh, May of last last year, Patrice Culler stepped down, and we already mentioned how her two replacement executives were like, uh, "Never mind, we're, we we never took the job." So yeah, the only two people that we know for sure that are uh, involved with Black Lives Matter are its two remaining board members that they've disclosed to a number of state uh, charity watchdogs, mm. um, uh, official watchdogs run by the state, like secretaries of state. Um, one is named Shalomia Bowers, who also goes by Christian Bowers. So he, this guy has served as the treasurer for a number of Patrice Culler's activist groups, mm -hmm. uh, including a L.A.-based jail reform group that paid Culler's $20,000 a month in 2019 and also dropped $26,000 on meetings at a luxury Malibu beach resort. Mm -hmm. uh, he's also the treasurer for Black Lives Matter PAC. Um, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, Dignity and Power Now, which is another you know activist group in, in this in the sphere. So there's Shalomia Bowers, and then there's this uh, guy out of Dayton, Ohio, named Raymond Howard, who has done everything in, a, in his power, it seems, to conceal the fact that he is one of BLM's only two known board members. Mm. Um, after I so before I reached out to him uh, for comment. He stated on his LinkedIn page that he was the chief operations officer for a, quote, international social justice organization, end quote, something along those lines. After I after I reached out, he changed that to just an unnamed nonprofit um, on his uh, on his. But on his Facebook page, he talks about, you know, uh, his work with uh, with Black Lives Matter and, and his close relationship with Patrice Colors. It's also really strange. He talks about his day trading. Like he, he talks about the stocks that he's trading. Like <laughs> Patrice Cullors is an avowed Marxist. Mm -hmm. And so like for the chief operations officer or, you know, from what we know of Black Lives Matter, who doesn't want to like publicly state that he is this like top figure at Black Lives Matter is during his, the daytime, like he's a former <laughs> investment manager at a number of banks like JP Morgan. And he's talking <laughs> about trading cryptocurrency and uh, his stock portfolio. Um, so it's, it's really kind of bizarre. He also used to state on his LinkedIn that he uh, was the operations and finance manager for this consulting firm named New Impact Partners. This, this company is run by Raymond Howard's sister, 
a website for new impact partners stated before I reached out for comment, they had a quote from a Raymond from Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation talking up new impact partners about how great its consulting services was and you know how it helps Black Lives Matter solve its, uh, its operational issues. After I reached out and asked uh, Black Lives Matter, how much have you paid uh, this firm, new impact partners that Raymond Howard says he's the finance guy for? The website for this uh, consulting firm removes the attribution to that quote to, to Raymond Howard. So they, they remove Raymond Howard's name and Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation from, from their website. So I've already mentioned, you know, the father of Patrice Collar's only child, this uh, art consulting firm named Trap Heels. We've also got new impact partners, which uh, the chief operations officer of Black Lives Matter claimed to have been the chief you know, financial guy at this, this, this uh, consulting firm. Uh, he also removed on his LinkedIn page his work with new impact partners. So this is all really bizarre behavior for you know the, one of the only two guys that we know is in control of, of Black Lives Matter to be you know kind of scrubbing his affiliation with uh, with the company and with other companies that may be, may be doing business with Black Lives Matter. In addition to you know their refusal so far to disclose information about their uh, their 2020 finances, which was due uh, almost three months ago. So it's funny because as you were explaining all this, I was thinking of uh, Charlie Kelly in front of the like the the board um, in that in that episode of It's Really Sunny where there's like the strings going everywhere. Um, and it's funny because it reminds me of the when Sheldon Whitehouse um, and he does he's on this sort of like money and politics beat in a very hilarious way um, and myopic way was trying to explain like Federalist Society and he was he was similarly talking about you know how allegedly convoluted it is and if you uh, have a good understanding of the right you know it's actually really not convoluted or some sort of grand conspiracy but what you're describing andrew is an amazingly convoluted grift i mean it sounds like some of these organizations really do appear to be sort of like fronts for uh funneling money into different benefactors uh coffers and it seems as though this is getting basically no attention um from the mainstream press or from people who the allegedly mainstream press and from people who uh, should con be concerned with this because they gave big money or they promoted the organization. And what brought this to my attention is a great tweet that you sent. You said, once again, conservative media is a year ahead of legacy liberal press on a major story. Glad to see New York Magazine scrutinizing BLM's finances, but I broke much of what's covered here in spring last year. And you linked to your story at The Caller. You've been on this for a really long time. Like this, None of this is particularly new, right? Right. Yeah. Um, uh, and it, you know, all the stuff that I've been going over, a lot of that was you know, the work that I did uh, last year. And, um, you know, props to the to New York Magazine for actually doing the report. But, yeah, a lot of it was, you know, the stuff that that I had put out and also the, the New York Post did great reporting on this as well. Um, and, it you know, it, it was frustrating at the time. You know, these are not easy stories um, to to do. And so you put a ton of work in. And it kind of just gets stuck in the like conservative media, you know, echo chamber. Right. Um, and of course, conservatives are going to love these stories because it's like it's Black Lives Matter, um, and it's a it's a big punching bag. Um, but it, it's uh, it's frustrating from my point of view that the liberal corporate legacy press just did not touch this story at all because they purport to be supporters of this movement. 
they should be enraged that these that the people running the National Black Lives Matter group have su- sucked up all the money, uh, almost a hundred million dollars from what we know know of, and what have they done with it? Like, it's just big question marks. Um, and uh, you know, they could have done a lot of good with that with that money. You you mentioned the corporate donors, but there's also probably millions of people yes. that you know pitched in like ten bucks, fifteen bucks, mm-hmm. and for the for the press to, to not to, to allow like all, all of this to go under the radar uh, and still for the most part, they're not paying attention to this, you know, whatsoever. They owe it to their readers to, to be their watchdog. Like, Hey, you guys that are our readers, you love black lives matter. You love this organization. They have a duty to, to tell their readers, but Hey, if you support this movement, uh, you need to see all this. Cause it's, it's, probably not a good idea to donate to the national group. You should be diverting your donations to like elsewhere if you actually you know, want to further this cause that, that you're donating to. And I feel comfortable in saying this because when I was with the caller, I was the only reporter yep. to report on um, the We Build the Wall scam mm-hmm. that was run by that uh, the AAA amputee Air Force veteran, Brian Colfage. Right. The, um, and that was the Bannon. Bannon was t- connected the, to that in some way. Yeah. Bannon got looped into that. But that was the group that raised $50 million from a GoFundMe um, in late 2018. And they said originally that we're just going to raise the funds and give it directly to the government if we raise a billion dollars. Of course, he wasn't going to raise a billion dollars. You know, no harm, no foul. Everybody's going to get their money back. But then the beginning of 2019, these guys were like, they did a bait and switch. They're like, oh, uh, actually we're going to start our own nonprofit group and we're going to build the wall ourselves. Um, and you know, within days of them, uh, announcing that, like for me, I love looking into grifting charities and that just like sent off warning light warning signs. And I, and we did a bunch of stories at the daily caller saying, Hey, uh, there are some major red flags here. Fast forward 18 months. And, um, and they get indicted by the feds. Uh, Bannon was was pardoned. Brian Colfage wasn't. Um, but you know, the Daily Caller just weeks before we did those stories was actually doing hype videos for uh, for Colfage about this like we you know his his fundraising effort. And I remember going to my my editors and I was like, Hey, I know that we did these like these 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 stories for him, but like this is like really doesn't look good for me at all. And I didn't get like any pushback whatsoever. And we put those stories out and I mean, it was almost encouraged. And so, because I felt strongly that, Hey, these are my readers that love this organization and are giving money to it. And, you know, I can't tell them what to do, but I need to give them this information that, Hey, uh, there are some warning signs here. Uh, so, um, I know that I'm consistent in this regard and it's just a shame to see that, um, the you know whatever you want to call it the mainstream press or the legacy press it's like they don't have enough respect for their readers to i mean to call out these basic you know questions about black lives matter and they just kind of let it go and now we've got tens of millions of dollars that is that could have done done a lot of uh it could have had a lot of impact what do you think it's good impact or bad impact 
it could have had a lot of impact and it's just question marks at this point. What you just described is such an important window into conservative media and honestly just independent media that, uh, you know, people completely have no understanding of and that independent media and conservative media gets literally zero credit for. But it is completely true. And I was going to say it makes me so angry on your behalf, but it's really it, it should just make us so angry, as you said, on the reader's behalf and on the public's behalf, because that's who your reporting is for. And that's who um, our outlets exist to, to serve as the public and people who have a stake in these organizations, they've donated to these organizations, or they're um, affected by a culture where this organization is promoted. And it's it's such a good glimpse into the fact that like the very people who purport to be police, the police of the media, the, the Brian Stelters of the world, whoever they are, um, they run their own, their own organizations in a way where they're not sort of treating the left and the right equally and, and fair and sort of anxious to cover these stories of corruption or grift, no matter how it reflects on your side. Um, mm-hmm. And meanwhile, uh, outlets like The Caller and The Examiner are doing it um, and are, are eager to sort of just call out that corruption wherever it exists and whatever side it's on, um, but actually get maligned uh, by the Brian Stelters and whoever else. Um, and, and tell us, Andrew, more about as you look into sort of these these grifting charities, what some of the, I guess, common uh, variables of the corruption are like, what are the red flags as you're, you're looking into these things? Obviously, like missing 990s are a pretty big one. <laughs> well, you said it before. Um, if you go to any charity's website, you should be able to find out at the very least uh, who the top stakeholders are. And and you said it previously, you can go to their website and they don't they don't disclose anything. Um, they're the statements at the issue. It's they, they don't, they rarely attribute them to, to somebody. Mm. And so like that's red sign. Number one. Um, also during 2020 for a long time, you know, black lives matter has been around for uh, since what, 2013, 2014, mm-hmm. but they only became a charity in their own right in late 2020. Um, before they were uh, fiscally sponsored by, uh, another comp- another charity called Thousand Currents. And to boil down a really complicated topic to just something really simple, mm-hmm. essentially what that meant was that Black Lives Matter was borrowing the charitable status of Thousand Currents. Uh, and then in the latter half of 2020, Black Lives Matter then became a fiscally sponsored project of the Tides Foundation, which is a major you know liberal charity. And the problem with fiscal sponsorships is that um, it's really hard to get a read on, you know, on the sponsored organization's finances. So though, so for most charities, you can you can pull up their 990s, which you know provide you know kind of line item like this is how much we spend on payroll and consultants, uh, occupancy, travel costs. These were our main missions. A fiscally sponsored organization doesn't really report all that. They kind of just like combine all that stuff and they and they package it in together with the with the sponsoring organization's finances. So you know for 2020, though, is when uh, in December 2020, the IRS granted Black Lives Matter tax exempt status. So they were finally able to operate as a charity in their own right. And I've been itching for over a year now. Like, I cannot wait to see Black Lives Matter 2020 uh, financial uh, return and uh, you know 990s, because this would be the first time that we can see you know exactly what Black Lives Matter has been doing with this money. And they have been, you know, and so all that. And um, and they just it was due in mid-November and it never came out. Um, and uh, then you start, you know, you send an, a, an email to their uh, to their board members and, you know, you have, 
a number of states require charities to uh, to register with them before they can solicit uh, from the state citizens. And, uh, you know, as we discussed earlier, California and Washington have now sent some pretty nasty letters towards Black Lives Matter. Those two states are, are you know, a part of that that group where they're like, hey, if you're going to solicit funds from us, you need to report to us your 990s and you need to report your audited financial statements and your board members and everything. So, um, you know, that's how how we even know that uh, who their two board members are. But <laughs> it's just radio silence when you reach out to them. And then, um, uh, yeah, then we go to their office nobody's home like all this kind of adds up just the the uh the complete lack of transparency when there should be transparency and it just like it it kind of like you you can't ignore it um it's just it's it's smoky um and it and just it it doesn't seem right you should be able to have this information on hand and it's not there and and then you dig in a little bit more and you find out that they their replacement executives quietly left, you know, months ago and nobody noticed. And then it's like, holy cow, like, okay, who's in charge of Black Lives Matter? The, right. And they won't even say that. So, uh, yeah, it's bizarre. Um, and given all the goodwill that they have built up, I think really based on their name um, in sort of legacy media, but also just the political establishment and, and swaths of the public more broadly, um, it, I'm I'm sort of curious if you're surprised that California responded the way that it did and is at least is is showing um, some uh, some will to hold them accountable. It, did it surprise you at all today that that California took the step to uh, get transparency out of the organization? And do you expect that to to uh, be a serious sort of thrust on the state's part to get information from them? In some way, I am surprised because you know it, it is a liberal state. Uh, but in other ways, I'm I'm not because um, this is egregious conduct, and I think it's it's so bad you can't you can't be a chair you can't be the most influential social justice charity in the country with a sixty million dollar plus bankroll and not even tell the public who your executive director is and also provide the wrong address on your tax forms like that is so egregious that I think that like if California wants any shred of credibility remaining, they have to be like, uh, guys, come on, like, give us your information. Um, and I, this is just my speculation, but I think that other states will follow, uh, cause that, you know, BLM, they're currently out of compliance in Connecticut, Maine, Maryland, New Jersey, North Carolina, and Virginia. Wow. And the only reason they are not out of compliance in other states is because their registration just hasn't lapsed. Florida, for example, BLM's registration in Florida expires in April. And there's no sign that they're so so they're soon they're they're soon to be out of out of registration in many other states if they don't submit their documents. Um, and so I, that's just. Um, yeah, you just you can't be a major charity like that and operate with with such little financial transparency. I think that the cynic in me thinks that Black Lives Matter knows that they can operate like this because nobody will will hold them to account. Yeah. And you can see their playbook, you know, the New York magazine. Um, uh, they they did their their story and again a lot of it was uh, a lot of the facts in there I'd all I I previously covered but um uh you know, Black Lives Matter officials apparently told a, a, the New York Post reporter that it was racist to question their finances like this is a this is a lefty guy and exactly. I think he said that he was a he was he's a black reporter as well so yeah. um 
so and so of course they say it's you know racist when conservative media does, but now you have like liberal press outlets are are also being told that they're racist for for questioning like what the hell did you guys do <laughs> with all this money that you were supposed to be the stewards of this organization that we all hold dear to our heart? Like, what's going on, guys? So yeah, uh, uh, I think that I think California's hand has been forced here because this is just. Um, uh, again, egregious conduct from a, from an influential charity with, uh, you know, the amount of funds that they have under their control. You know, I think you just made such an important point that, uh, they, they sort of claim to be oppressed and, and victims of uh, racism everywhere, but they are the ones that are actually benefiting from all of the, I mean, this, this intimidation, right? Like nobody in the media wants to touch them because they'll be called racist, even if they're black and even if they're progressive and even if they're writing for uh, New York Magazine, it is sort of uh, amazing how far that, that defense and that intimidation can go. And Andrew, before we wrap up, I want to ask, um, you know, as somebody who's been following this really closely, even before 2020 and even before some of this spilled into the public how does the political establishment and the legacy media treat this group not the not just the black lives matter movement which is bigger than the organization but this group itself patrice colors um the other co-founder whose name um, is escaping me at the moment um but they have been treated as sort of like credible authorities um and and sort of with uh, i mean it seems to me kid gloves but i haven't sort of followed their treatment as closely as you have um how have they been depicted um and treated in the political establishment and legacy media. Yeah, it's a, it, kick loves is the it's the perfect term. They they receive no scrutiny whatsoever. Um, they, there's most coverage of them is is uh, positive. They don't you know they don't scrutinize them at all. The the tree scholars gave an interview to the LA Times just a few weeks ago in which she said that you know reporting on her personal finances and issues with Black Lives Matter were assassination attempts on her life, and they just print that without like. I mean, how how can you say that she she's she was the face of like the prominent movement in in the country, and she, right. they treat her as if they're they're untouchable. I don't know if it's because they're scared or they're intimidated. I I don't know, but yeah, uh, def, definitely kids gloves. It's, it's almost as if they it's almost as if Black Lives Matter knows that they can operate with impunity because they know that the press won't report on them either out of fear or because they just don't care. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And that's certainly been um, the case so far, of course, you know, they, mm-hmm. so to some extent, it's they're they're right um, that they will uh, ultimately <laughs> be just fine. And the losers in all of this, um, you know, if, if you see this charity being treated credibly by the L.A. Times and by the media, you assume the media sort of vetted them and that the reporters did their due diligence, at least members of the public um, who aren't conservative and don't sort of follow media corruption that closely would make that assumption and then feel much safer giving their money to that group. And they're the mm-hmm. real, you know, the public is the loser in all of this. Andrew Kerr, investigative reporter at the Washington Examiner. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Emily. You can follow Andrew at Andrew Kerr and that's Andrew K-E-R-R-N-C. Make sure you go read the story. It's at the Washington Examiner. BLM's millions unaccounted for after leaders quietly jumped ship. You got to read it. It's a wild story and a great read and, and certainly make sure to follow the story. I'm Emily Jashinsky, culture editor here at The Federalist. You've been listening to another edition of The Federalist Radio Hour. We'll be back soon. The Until then, be lovers of freedom and anxious you for the fray. Place the flowers in the vase that you bought today.